Our scripture reading this afternoon is taken from Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> In the Pew Bibles, page 29, Genesis chapter 22. No doubt a familiar passage of Scripture to many of us. God's test of Abraham that he should give his only son, the son whom he loved, as unto the Lord. Difficult for us to ponder that the Lord should ask such a thing. I'm going to reflect on that together, especially when we know that in context, in Genesis chapter 12, from the beginning of the Abraham section, God had made a promise to Abraham and repeatedly repeated the promise. Through you and through your seed, all of the families of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then Abraham and Sarah waited and waited and waited that they should have their son. It took many, many years, decades. And finally, at the time when Abraham and Sarah were 100 and she was 90, respectively, the Lord blessed them with a son. With God, nothing shall be impossible. This is a declaration of of God's wondrous grace. And in Genesis 21, Isaac is born and celebrated, and Sarah laughs with joy. But we come to Genesis 22 and the test that is before us. Let's give our attention to the Holy Word of God. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. 
And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba." stop here. This is the very Word of God. I urge you to keep your Bibles open if you're able, and uh, we'll look particularly, I'll draw our attention to the verses 7 and 14, which will help us to focus our attention. Isaac's question and Abraham's answer. The question in verse 7, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And following the unfolding of the events, as we're familiar with the account, we have an answer from Abraham at verse 14. Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, that last phrase, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, it can be variously translated. There are a number of nuances that we need to appreciate. In the mount of the Lord, it will be seen. Or, in the mount of the Lord, he will be seen. Or, in the mount of the Lord, he will see to it. And that will be uh, helpful for us to consider as we make our way through the passage here this afternoon. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, I am quite sure that for most of us, this is a very familiar passage. And because of its familiarity, we perhaps don't feel the the prickliness of it, the difficulty of it. Maybe I do address someone here this afternoon who hasn't read this passage before. And perhaps if this is or were to be your first hearing or first reading of this particular passage, I would suspect that this passage would trouble you greatly, give you much difficulty, raises many questions, in terms of what in the world is going on here. We have to face those questions together. 
as we seek understanding and as we seek to appreciate what God is actually revealing to us here in this passage. We know ultimately it is very, very beautiful and very, very rich. But at first blush, at first glance, we read this passage and we are troubled. We read of a father having to sacrifice his own son and it strikes us as something of a gut punch. It's gut-wrenching for us to ask the question, what is God doing here? Now, in the interests of full disclosure, I should disclose to you that this is the second of two sermons that I preached in our congregation in Brampton on this particular passage recently, the first of which focused on the test of Abraham himself. Now, there are some who say, really, it is only about the test. I don't believe that. I believe there's something for us to see there in terms of his test. I believe we could be encouraged we won't take the time to re-preach that sermon. We'll preach one of them here this afternoon. But we can see that Abraham was presented with a perplexing challenge, but then he showed prompt and purposeful obedience, and God, in his mercy, protected him and provided for him. He provided the ram that was caught in the thickets in the place of Isaac. And we also know God tested Abraham not for God's benefit. God knows what's in the heart of Abraham. God didn't need to do that. God tested Abraham for Abraham's benefit. And by the grace of God, by the mercy, the care and protection of God, Abraham came through. But this afternoon, we're moving beyond, beyond what is here in terms of the test of Abraham. We want to look deeper as it were, or higher, perhaps, might be a better way of saying it. We want to see what God is on about here. We want to have a sense of what God is saying about himself, what God is revealing about himself and about his character and about his faithfulness. What we see here uh, with regard to God's own heart, that's what we see is being revealed to us, something of God's own heart. And that's a wonderful blessing to consider as we think of being in covenant with God and God making covenant promises to believers and to their children, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down the line. We see something of God's wonderful heart. And so we're focusing our attention this afternoon um, out of the question that is asked by the lad. I take him to be about 12 to 14. I don't know that we can be dogmatic about that. He's not just a little boy. He's not a, a full-grown man, perhaps. But he asks a very poignant question. Dad, where is the lamb? And that brings up for us the difficulty, doesn't it? Doesn't it? When you read that question coming from his lips, it cuts to the heart. But then we need to appreciate, as I've suggested already, Abraham is able, by the grace of God, to give a glorious answer. And the answer comes, take note, after the ram has been caught in the thickets and after the ram has been sacrificed in place of Isaac. And the point is, Abraham continues to speak of what will be provided on the mountain. It wasn't the ram. Where is the lamb? We're still looking 
for the Lamb. That's the point. And what we see in this passage is that God is showing us in a, in a glorious way, something of his heart, yes, but he's showing us the cost of our salvation. How it may be that we may be the children of the living God. So, as we consider this question, where is the lamb? These are the three things that are before us. The problem, the picture, and the promise. There's the problem we need to face, there is the picture we need to see, and the promise we need to believe or we need to embrace. So first, the problem. As I mentioned, you read this passage and you say, I got a problem. I got a problem with that. It doesn't seem right. Especially if you know anything about God. You know, you know that He would never, ever, ever expect Abraham to go through with the, with the test that God has proposed for him. If you read your Bible, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, 2 Kings chapter uh, 23, Jeremiah 32, verse 35, you'll see that the, the, very, the very thought of sacrificing one's children is an abomination to God. God says, such a thing has never entered into my heart to imagine. That would not be something that God would ever, ever expect of his people. That's what the, the nations did. They ran their children through the flame. Moloch did that. Wicked King Manasseh, he, he followed in that line, but that was an abomination to God. God would have nothing of that. We need to keep that in mind. We need to appreciate that that's, that is who God is. He's faithful. He would never, ever expect such a thing. And, and maybe just to make this real for us, uh, could you imagine... Could you imagine reading in the newspaper of a father who actually murdered his own son and then used as his justification for doing so, his, his defense before the law, his excuse for having done so? Well, God told me to do it. What would we say? We would say, that's bonkers. We would say, that's not right. It is not, it cannot be so. We need to appreciate that. We need to have that as an understanding that helps us with the problem that we have with this passage. And we also know we have an advantage over Abraham, don't we? The opening words in verse 1 of chapter 22, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. We know it's a test. He didn't understand that at that time, but we know that. I think that helps us a little bit with the problem that we face. But I think we need to stay with the question for a moment to seek to understand what we're up against. I think the problem for us is that we don't give serious enough thought to the absolute glory, majesty, and perfect holiness of God in all of His glory. And we don't give enough thought to what our lives of sinful disobedience look like 
in the light of his majesty and glory. Habakkuk 1 verse 13, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. That's what we must confess about God. He cannot look upon sin. We, we need to go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Remember the, the, the test gave to Adam and, given to Adam and Eve. And they were told in Genesis 2 verse 17, yes, of all of the trees of the garden you may eat, but of the tree, the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of that tree you may not, you must not eat, and in the day that you eat of that tree, on that day you will surely die. And they ate, and they died, and we've been dying ever since. We've been living with the consequences of their sin. This is a reality we need to acknowledge. Ezekiel chapter 18 tells us the soul that sins shall die. We're born sinners. We all sin. We're all going to die. So we need to appreciate with regard to Isaac is that he is also deserving of death because of sin also in his life. His life is forfeit. His life is under condemnation. We need to acknowledge that. And if we find that difficult, we need to realize that what this is showing us here ultimately is that the problem is sin. And the problem is me. The problem is you and me. In order to appreciate that, and put in mind of the words of a, of a medieval or pre-medieval theologian by the name of Anselm of Canterbury. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a, a tome that was called Cur Deus Homo, Why the God-Man. And in the context of his development of the argument why Jesus had to be true God, he had to be true man, he had to be truly righteous man, in his dialogue with his dialogue partner whose name was Bozo, not a very nice name, but that was his name. He said, Bozo, the reason you can't appreciate the fact that Jesus had to be God, had to be man, had to be true man, is you have not yet come to appreciate the seriousness of your sin. And that's the reality we need to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge our sin is serious. We need to acknowledge that the teaching of the Bible is... Hebrews 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there will be no remission. There can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Isaac's life was forfeit. Isaac was deserving of death, a sinner like you and me. But here's the challenge. God had made promises to Abraham, which would be through Isaac, through Jacob. All of the families of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. How can they be blessed? in the line of such sinners. Do you think Isaac could lay down his life as a sacrifice for their sins? The kind of sacrifice that God would require would be a sinless sacrifice, a spotless lamb. And Isaac was not that. Isaac was a sinner like you and me. And so, to appreciate the problem here, it comes down to this. The problem is our sin. The problem is you 
and me. Now, that doesn't sound all that encouraging, does it? Maybe we don't even like to hear that. Maybe we resist that sort of thing. We say, don't talk to me about that. But I want to assure you in the mercy of God that coming to know our sin is the glorious work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. The Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. To be able to acknowledge I'm a sinner in need of grace is the wonderful work of God's grace. And it sets us up for what God is actually going to reveal to us, the picture he's making to us here in this chapter. And our second point this afternoon, the picture we need to see. You see, we have a glorious picture unfolding before our eyes. You could hear the repeated emphasis of the fact that father and son made their way together. There was prompt obedience on Abraham's part, but together Isaac, you might almost say arm in arm with his dad, together made their way toward Mount Moriah. We hear that repeatedly. And we have a picture, don't you see, of the together work of God the Father and God the Son with regard to our salvation. You've heard it repeated as well in the passage when God initially comes to Abraham already in verse 2. He says, take now your son, your only son, the son whom you love, And he repeats that, he's your son, he's your only son, the son whom you love. Do you not see your Jesus there? Do you not hear the language of God the Father with regard to his son? You hear it at his baptism, you hear it at his transfiguration on his way to the cross. This is my beloved son. He is God's son, his only son. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We go further. As you see in your mind's eye, father and son trudging, trudging, trudging all the way up to Mount Moriah. Do you not see your Jesus trudging on his way to the cross at Calvary. We could actually back it up and, and appreciate. Do you see your Jesus? For whom it was not robbery to be counted equal with God. He is God the Son from all eternity, but He empties Himself. He pours Himself out, so to speak, to take the form of a servant in the likeness of our sinful human flesh, the likeness of it. He was not sinful, but he would go all the way to the cross, the cursed death of the cross. You see Abraham and Isaac making their way. The wood is packed on Isaac's back. Do you see your Jesus, as John 19 records? having the cross placed upon his shoulders and having to make his way up the cross at Calvary. Isaac 
carries the wood, but the, fire, the father has the fire and the knife. The fire and the knife. The judgment that we deserve. Finally, when it comes to the fact that the wood needs to be laid in order and Isaac needs to be laid down, you see Isaac laid down and bound to the wood. Do you not see your Jesus? laid down upon the cross and bound there, yes, even nailed to the cross. A glorious picture is being made for us to see and appreciate the heart of God the Father who loved the world of sinful humanity so much that he did not spare his own son. We'll get to the point where Isaac is spared. God's own dear son will not be spared. He'll be delivered up for us all. As Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, this is a glorious, glorious, weighty, awesome truth. And then do you hear Isaac when he asks the question in verse 7? Father, And the Father answers, here I am. Do you see your Jesus here? And do you appreciate that here the, the picture seems to diverge a little bit? Here the differences show themselves. Isaac says, Dad. And Abraham says, here I am. It's different on the cross, isn't it? We know, many of us know, don't we, the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. You can go through the gospel accounts and you can line them up in order. The first and the last words spoken by Jesus on the cross are both recorded in Luke 23, verse 34 and verse 46. In both of those instances, the first and the last, he says, Father, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And then as Jesus makes his way through his suffering on the cross in our place, on our behalf, finally, at the end of it all, after he says the words that would be recorded in John 19, the sixth word from the cross, it's finished, I'm done. Then he says in Luke 23, verse 46, Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The work is done, I'm coming home. First and seventh word, Father. What's the word right in the middle? Fourth word from the cross, Matthew 27, verse 46. He doesn't say Father. He can't say Father. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And we know why, don't we? This is love. 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He was forsaken that we might never be forsaken. We might forever know the blessing of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now as we read the account in Genesis chapter 22, we can see God says in verse 16, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. Because of Abraham and Isaac's obedience, blessing results and the work of redemption goes forward. But it's different with regard to Jesus. Jesus' obedience will not get him blessing in the first place. It gets him the curse. And he takes that on our behalf. He takes that upon his shoulders for us. You could go back to Genesis 22, verse 13, where we saw the ram that was offered up instead of Isaac. And now we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the lamb, is offered up instead of us. That's the gospel. That's the Bible's teaching of substitutionary atonement. Jesus was in our place. He died instead of us. Galatians 3 verse 13, he was made a curse for us. He became the curse for us that we might know the blessing of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He was declared to be the sin offering, received all of our sin on his shoulders that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, this is a picture we need to see. It's but a picture in Genesis chapter 22, but as Jesus comes on the scene, it is fulfilled in all of its glorious majesty. Jesus actually says in John 8 verse 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he was glad. I believe Jesus was talking about Genesis 22. Here's the picture that Abraham saw. And now I ask you, do you see it? Do you see the picture here? Do you see and acknowledge your own sin and do you appreciate the glory of the gospel and what Jesus Christ has endured in your place? Will you trust him? Will you rest in what he has done? The third consideration we have this afternoon is the promise we need to believe. You see, Isaac's question, where is the lamb, was answered by God, of course, ultimately, not just Abraham, in in a glorious way. I think think when you read the Old Testament, 
Maybe it's a helpful way to have Isaac's question clanging in your ears and in your heart. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And you see all of these sacrifices, day after endless day, calves and goats and bulls and and blood offered up to the Lord. But you remember in Hebrews chapter 10, there is no salvation in the blood of goats and bulls. This man, Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice on the cross, sat down, one sacrifice forever. But all of those sacrifices uh, in the Old Testament were screaming Isaac's question, where is the lamb? Or you read through the history of Israel and you see the repeated failures, the repeated rebellion and disobedience of of God's children, first Israel and then also of Judah and of the kings of Judah and of Israel. And, And you have to hear that question ringing in your ears, where is the lamb? And then you open up to the pages of the New Testament. What are some of the first things we hear? In John's Gospel, we hear of the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was to be his forerunner, his cousin, but his forerunner. And John the Baptist will acknowledge that he is not even worthy to untie his sandals. He must increase, I must decrease. But what are the words that John the Baptist calls our attention to? John 1 verse 29. What are some of the first words you hear from his mouth as one of the greatest prophets, the last prophet you could say of the Old Testament? John 1 verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where is the Lamb? Here he is. Here he is, the promised one. And I have to think of the way John the Gospel writer himself, also the writer of the book of Revelation, spoke of his own struggle in this uh, dream form in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5 verse 4. Just prior to that, The question in Revelation 5, verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Nobody could unfurl the scrolls that speak of the blessing of history proceeding according to the sovereign good pleasure of God. Nobody could do it. No man could do that. So John says, Revelation 5, verse 4, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, look and see. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, what did I see? In the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. There he is. There's the lamb. As though it had been slain. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Worthy is the lamb. That's the uh, refrain that we hear, don't we, in Revelation chapter 5 at verse 12 and following. Worthy is the lamb. 
who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea and all that are in them. And I heard, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb. Here he is. Here he is. Now just an interesting detail, I think, that uh, helps to bring this account and the picture God is making here and the history that unfolds from it um, appreciated more. Abraham had to go to Mount Moriah. If you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, you have the aftermath of, of David's folly of numbering the fighting men and having to receive from the Lord the plague, the plague of the Lord. And it extended so far, but it stopped at the threshing floor on Mount Moriah. And because that's where the plague stopped, that's where the temple was built, the Temple of Solomon on Mount Moriah. And where's that? That's in Jerusalem. And where was Jesus ultimately crucified? In Jerusalem, on the mountain of Calvary. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's just ponder together what this means for us. Do you struggle with your sin? Do I address anyone here this afternoon who is overwhelmed with the reality of your sinfulness and your guiltiness? What do we say to one another? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Behold the Lamb. What do we say to our little children the Lord entrusts to us? They're sinners like we are. They sometimes learn their sins from their parents, but it's more than that. It's not just imitation. It's not just what they see and copy. They're born sinners, just like every one of us was. I'm so encouraged every time I read that line in our form for baptism. If we, through weakness, should fall into sin. This is what we need to tell our children. You're going to sin. Boys and girls, you're going to sin. You do sin. If we, through weakness, should fall into sin, we must not despair of God's grace. We must not throw up our hands and say, there's no hope for me. There's no help for me. I'm finished. I'm lost. I'm guilty. Baptism is a seal, a seal of God, a totally reliable witness that God is always faithful to his covenant. We must not despair of God's mercy nor use our weakness as an excuse to keep sinning. Look to God. Behold the Lamb. Look to Jesus. Point the little ones to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if we appreciate that what is going forward now in Abraham and Isaac's day, God said, this blessing, just like I've been promising you all along, it's for all the nations. That means this message that we have to behold the Lamb is the message that needs to go forth from our mouths to all the world around us. In all of the guilt, in all of the sadness, in all of the brokenness that anyone apart from Jesus Christ must endure, this is our message. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. We may have been struggling, trying to find our own way, asking, where is their hope? Where is the Lamb? But the message of the Bible confirmed to us in baptism is, here he is. It's Jesus. Behold the Lamb. Look to him and live in the joy of your salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the way in which you have from the beginning ordered all things in such a way that Jesus Christ would get all of the glory. He is the preeminent one. He is the only Savior. In him, all things consist. And we thank you that we may come to know the blessing, that we belong to you, that there is forgiveness for our sins because Jesus has borne them on the cross as the Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. Lord, grant that every one of us here would know the blessing of looking to Jesus, beholding the Lamb, resting in what he has done for us. You know our struggles, you know our weakness, you know our frailty, you know the guilt we struggle with. Teach and encourage every one of us to bring all of this to Jesus and to rest in what Jesus Christ has done. Bless our families, O Lord. Bless us that we may live in the joy of your promises, that we may continually point one another to Jesus as our only Savior. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.